is up, Bitcoiners? It's your boy CK, and this was an epic podcast with Congressman Warren Davidson. Uh, I feel lucky, man. I, I I've talking, I've talked to Bitcoin mayors, Mayor Scott Conger. Now I got to talk to a Bitcoin congressman. I've spoken to Senator uh, Cynthia Lummis. Uh, there are so many amazing Bitcoiners that are pushing things forward from a political perspective and a technological perspective and an adoption perspective. And you love to see it. This episode was an absolute banger. Uh, congressman Warren, he spoke about everything that's happening within the Bitcoin space, everything that's happening within the regulatory space around Bitcoin. And we even reacted on Elon. You know, he he is well read across everything that's kind of happening in the crypto sphere and the financial sphere in general. So he gave his comments and opinions there. And uh, the meat of the conversation is just talking about Bitcoin as a way, a technological way to save, protect, and uh, fight for freedom. You know, this is a freedom technology. This is a technology that removes middlemen. And this is a technology that gives everyone the ability to save in hard money that cannot be diluted. Um, Warren is very, very bullish on Bitcoin and uh, thinks it's important that the U.S. makes it as easy as possible for companies to build with confidence in America. The longer that we continue to maintain a regulatory environment that is uncertain, it's going to be difficult for business to flourish here. And therefore, that is going to hurt adoption in the U.S. and hurt Americans because Bitcoin is not going anywhere. Just like the PC did not go anywhere, just like the Internet did not go anywhere. Bitcoin, the Internet of tech, of value is not going anywhere. Um, and we need to foster it here in America. And like, like we talk about this entire podcast, Bitcoin is all about freedom, all about individual freedoms, and it aligns with what the United States was built on to begin with. Um, before we get into the podcast, though, I want to tell you about Bitcoin 2021. I'm going to be there, and I am so excited to be hosting an amazing panel on what is it going to take to kickstart the Bitcoin circular economy. I am speaking to some of the most amazing people who are actually building this out in you know I love talking about the circular economy because the circular economy means that Bitcoiners can live using Bitcoin in an anti-fragile way. They become as anti-fragile as Bitcoin's liquidity and Bitcoin's economy. And the more and more services that integrate into Bitcoin, accept Bitcoin, value Bitcoin, the more free an individual will be. So it's going to be an awesome conversation at the conference. There are so many other amazing speakers, including Congressman Warren David. Davidson, including Senator Cynthia Lummis, including Jack Dorsey, including Michael Saylor, including so many more incredible speakers. It is going to be the biggest Bitcoin, blockchain, crypto, whatever event ever in history. It's definitely the biggest Bitcoin event in history. We're going to be going 12,000 strong in Miami. You can go to b.tc forward slash conference. Get your tickets today. We are sold out of the after party tickets. Uh, tickets are really expensive because there's just it's scarce, guys. Like, this is an industry about scarcity. These tickets are scarce. If you wait to the last minute, I'm sorry. You might have to FOMO in and it's going to suck. If you're a Bitcoiner, DM me. I'll give you a discount. But outside of that, you know, see you in Miami. But speaking of discounts, if you do want to get the biggest discount possible on Bitcoin 2021 tickets, you need to be paying in Bitcoin. You get an automatic $400 off your ticket if you pay in Bitcoin. So that means if you pay in fiat, it's $1,300. If you pay in Bitcoin, $900. And you can pay in Bitcoin using MoonPay without paying any fees and using your debit card, credit card, Apple Pay, 
uh, Google Pay, any of those things, Samsung Pay, you can use Apple Pay to do that. You use your fiat to send a Bitcoin transaction to us. You can spend your fiat. We get sats. Everyone wins. It's awesome. MoonPay is this amazing technology layer company that is building uh, bridges between Bitcoin and uh, and the traditional fiat system. And they're making really, really cool partnerships with all of your favorite wallets. So let's say you download a wallet. It's non-custodial wallet. It's on your phone. You want to go buy Bitcoin instead of going to Coinbase, instead of going to Cash App, buying it and then withdrawing it. You can just buy it using MoonPay. Pay with Apple Pay. You don't have to do all this paperwork to get your KYC. And then the SATs come straight to your phone, come straight to your non-custodial wallet. You completely evade the custodial aspect. So I love the tech that they're building. I love that it's getting adopted in over 300 wallets. And it's available uh, in three, 160 countries with all of their fiat systems integrated. Like MoonPay is building the bridge to Bitcoin hyper adoption. So they're helping us out at the conference to get paid in Bitcoin. You can go pay in fiat and get that discount for paying in Bitcoin by using MoonPay. The widget is built right into the website. So go to our page, go buy your ticket. And uh, yeah, keep stacking sats. Enjoy this podcast with Congressman Warren Davidson. Bitcoiners, I have the absolute pleasure of sitting across the screen from Congressman Warren Davidson. Uh, Congressman Davidson is uh, famous amongst Bitcoin circles for being one of the few congressmen to uh, be loud and proud about uh, supporting Bitcoin and thinking that Bitcoin is good for America. Um, I'm really honored to have him on the Bitcoin Magazine podcast. Congressman, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, CK. Nice to talk with you. So um, I guess let's just start off with like, why is Bitcoin important to you? Why do you think, why do you make it a point to, you know, publicize your, uh, your appreciation for the technology? Well, that's a great question. So for me, Bitcoin represents freedom. You know, I always say you can't defend freedom without defending sound money. Now, you know, Bitcoin as a money system, you could debate pros or cons, but it is a phenomenal store of value. And when you look at what's going on with the U.S. dollar, you can't say the current dollar is sound, which is part of what you've seen the rise of, of Bitcoin and other, other uh, assets over the past year in particular. So like I said, defend freedom means you have to defend sound money. And really, Bitcoin is structurally a guarantee of that uh, by architecture, design, and the Bitcoin white paper kind of shows the inspiration behind it. Can you talk a little bit about like maybe your process to understand Bitcoin or like come to that conclusion? Like for me, I had discovered Bitcoin 2017, listened to like 10 hours of, of podcasts. And then from a technological perspective, I was like, this is the future I have to invest. And it was kind of endless from there. But I'm kind of curious, you know, what was what was your journey like and how did you come to these conclusions? Yeah, so uh, I was in manufacturing prior to being in Congress. So, you know, I got out of the Army in 2000 and got involved in manufacturing, went to Notre Dame, got an MBA. And as I was, you know, growing my companies uh, and doing international business in particular, you see the structural friction of, you know, the wire transfer, SWIFT codes, moving money through banks across borders. And it was tedious and slow and expensive. Uh, and, you know, you would always have things where you say to the supplier, hey, I sent the payment. And they go, well, we haven't received it. I go, I have a copy of the wire receipt right here, right? Well, the bank hasn't given me the money. 
And when you dig into it after a while, initially you're like, oh, I don't really trust this person now. When you go, no, I trust the person on the other end. What's really going on? Uh, it, part of it is governments trying to make sure there's nothing illicit going on. That's you know good. We want to keep everybody safe. But part of it's banks doing the same, uh, you know, which duplicated effort. And a lot of it is people just trying to make money by being intermediaries in the system. And so, you know, you're looking for something that has the efficiency of cash. Uh, and, and that's, you know, almost impossible to move any significant amount of it across borders. So that led me to kind of hear about these things, previous efforts like DigiCash to try to try to do something. Uh, and, you know, you just kind of get busy running business. And the next thing I know, it's 2013 and people are talking about Bitcoin. Uh, I guess I heard about it around the time Ether was coming out because, uh, you know, it was developed and it was just starting to be in the news at that time. So that's how I heard about it. And then you start trying to understand it is kind of the next layer. Awesome. That's a it's a cool story. And it's awesome that you kind of have the background trying to do international business and deal with the legacy system. I feel like a lot of folks who haven't actually experienced the magic of a Bitcoin transaction and maybe haven't tried to do international business and felt the friction, like just don't really appreciate that 10, 100x improvement. Yeah, and look, there, there, there are, you know, merits to all sorts of payment systems out there. And, you know, as Americans, we benefit greatly by having the US dollar be the world's reserve currency. But it's been disappointing to watch. I mean, essentially since the 0809 financial crisis, the Federal Reserve has been, you know, building its own balance sheet, um, which is a way of saying they're diluting the value of all the dollars. They're they're essentially, if you look at a characteristic of, uh, to be polite, some of the altcoins out there where you have a central authority that that maintains control, where they could issue more coins or pay it to something else, they could distort the value of the underlying asset, right? Um, and you know, you could say, well, that's good because of whatever. But either way, your, your trust in the future of it totally depends on your trust of the central authority and the management team. The great thing about Bitcoin is if you look at the whole inspiration was looking at what you know, the US central bank and global central banks were doing to their currencies, uh, distorting the value of it all uh, and no, uh, no confidence in that system. So you know whether you use it as a payment system or a store of value, or a means of exchange, you know, people debate, you know, characteristics would be better if you did this, that, or the other thing. That's the thing for dominance. But I don't think there's going to be a real rival for Bitcoin as a store of value, personally, uh, because of the proven nature of it. It's been it's been well proven now. And if somebody says, well, I'd rather transact in this way because of smart contracts, maybe Ether, maybe there are other things. We're having a healthy debate about the future of XRP right now. But it's really such an early stage for blockchain in particular that, you know, we haven't even begun to tap all the use cases. You know, we haven't even tapped all the use cases for the Internet. And, you know, that's, you know, at least 30 years old in the public consciousness. I, I really love your perspective here. Again, I, it sounds like you've really done your homework and you really do understand kind of like all the things that are happening. Can you give the Bitcoiners a little bit of an insight of like, What's the conversation like on the Hill? Um, obviously, you brought up XRP, you brought up smart contracts. It sounds like it's definitely something that um, is talked about, um, you know, in political circles. It is. Uh, you know, we'd like it to be talked about more. I mean, and, and really, the talk isn't like a party line thing. It really is like there are Republicans and Democrats who have the same 
conversations. And the real breakdown is people that really believe like in the status quo, which is sort of the same thing for a, like an IT infrastructure. The, the, the current kind of seven layer protocol is you've got a central authority that is the network administrator and they issue all the credentials and they have access to everything, but you know, they're, they're trying to prove that somebody really is who they say they are. And uh, you see big compromises of that. You see, you know, huge compromises of the current system. Bitcoin is a more secure architecture. It's a different computing architecture because there is no central authority. The whole trust system is worked out differently. Uh, and, and so I, I think the architecture is beautiful in that sense and could be used much more broadly for a host of applications. Um, so, you know, that's to me is the real piece. And as you think about central bank digital currencies, there are some people that say, why bother? We already have Bitcoin. Um, but central banks are going to do what central banks do. If you look in China, they're moving pretty aggressively, but they're moving towards a system that keeps a central authority, that the central government can monitor everything, no, literally every transaction for every person. They can integrate that into their social credit score. It's a very authoritarian system of control. You know, is, is it a store of value? Is it a means of exchange? All that's secondary to an authoritarian government like China's because what they really want is a system of control. Sadly, there are Americans, including members of Congress and the administration who also want a system of control. And, uh, and, and frankly, they have developed that with the kind of the backend architecture in the current financial system. That's part of the friction that we talked about with the, the status quo. So they're, they're having a, um, you know, insecurity over, well, how could we possibly do all the things that we do today? Well, some of the things shouldn't be done in the first place, um, but, you know, some can be done differently uh, because it's all on a public ledger. It's truly a distributed ledger. It's available. So there's not real secrecy. There's privacy. And I think people don't understand that architecture well. Even people that do understand it sometimes oppose it because they want the, to use a system of control. But Bitcoin, by design, avoids control because of its decentralized nature. And uh, to me, that's a feature. For some people, that's a flaw. Again, extremely well articulated there, uh, Congressman. I'm, I'm curious, have you been paying attention to uh, the fallout between Elon Musk and, uh, and Bitcoiners? And uh, I guess, you know, people have speculated that Elon prefers Dogecoin because he can actually, you know, control or uh, exert influence on it versus maybe Bitcoin he's discovered is not possible. I mean, weigh in on, on Elon and Bitcoin. You know, it's always it's always dangerous to speculate on people's motives. Right. But look, if if you wanted to be able to manipulate and control something, Dogecoin was built to be able to do that. You know, you can create an unlimited number of these coins uh, and with, you know, with with, uh, you know, a different system than Bitcoin. I mean, it was designed to be a parody of the system uh, and to see somebody as smart as Elon Musk talking about Dogecoin says, I don't know, why would you do that? So everyone's kind of speculating about his motives. Um, but I will say, look, you know, he's, he's kind of run right up against the line with the SEC in terms of market manipulation in the past. And I hope he kind of steers clear of that. It's disappointing to see things that he's talking about. And he's talking about energy consumption of all things. I don't know, Tesla uses a good bit of energy. The whole thing runs on energy. It's different than gasoline for sure, but you got to power the plants quite a lot. I mean, I, you know, all the Tesla is running out there probably 
uh, would be a nice chart to look at that. I mean, you know, no one's going to give up their Google searches. That uses a lot of energy. Uh, and and when you look at the the mining prospect, whatever people are mining cryptographically, you know, the benefits are to do it uh, with renewable energy because the cost is low. It's a sustainable system. And so the growth uh, is there, not because of uh, other economic incentives, uh, other anything other than economic incentives. So the economic incentives alone say, hey, let's get to something like geothermal in Iceland or hydroelectric in you know, numerous places, heavily in China. And I, I think the United States would really be smart to try to uh, see, you know, renewable energy grow. And frankly, one of the ways to see renewable energy grow is to increase uh, mining activity. We could do that with regulatory clarity. Regulatory clarity. Uh, so we, you know, we see people in this space not leaving the United States to like avoid our laws. For the most part, they're leaving the United States to find uh, laws that are clear and certain or in some cases to find in the miner, miner's case to find you know lower cost more renewable energy sources okay so a lot to unpack there i love the mining talk um right and uh how does mining fit into the future of renewables in general personally i think that bitcoin plus energy production go together like bitcoin makes energy production a better process than it is currently so speaking of you know people who want to stick to the incumbent system versus are scared of what the future might look like i find that a lot of let's call it alarmists who are scared of bitcoin's energy production they are unwilling to admit that our energy production system right now sucks hey guess what we're polluting so much right now doing the current system we are, you know, supporting what is happening right now. And, you know, is the world banked? Does everyone have access to sound money? No, I don't think so. So I guess I pass it back to you. Yeah, look, uh, you know, I just thought it was a bit of irony to hear Elon Musk talking about energy consumption. I, I don't think he's made it so that Tesla's only work on solar power. Uh, he's happy to see them charged and powered and purchased, uh, no matter how you want to put juice into it. So, I mean, they're neat cars. Uh, I don't own a Tesla, but, you know, they're, they're neat cars. I, I would I love what he's able to do with uh, with the Tesla business, with SpaceX. The guy's a brilliant businessman. He's had lots of success. I, I definitely think he's smart enough not to miss Bitcoin. Uh, but it, so it does lead to speculation that he's willfully missing. All right. Well, we don't have to stick on him too much. I want to focus more about Bitcoin and Americans. Um, you know, I I think that Bitcoin is a household name right now, but I think if you ask the average person why they should care about Bitcoin, they still wouldn't really be able to answer that question. Yeah, why should you care about Bitcoin? And, and look, I mean, I'm on financial services, some of the media, and frankly, a fair number of the followers I have on Twitter because of the work I've done in crypto and Bitcoin in particular. Um, so, you know, some of my constituents are like, why, why does this affect Ohio's 8th district? And, you know, sound money affects, you know, everyone. Uh, it clearly affects the United States heavily because we are the world's reserve currency right now. And when you see the, the value of the U.S. dollar being diluted and distorted by Federal Reserve actions, um, it's really undermining, uh, you know, wage earners and fixed income people the most. So if you're, uh, you know, say on a pension, a defined benefit pension, um, you're hurt the worst by destruction of the currency. And so monetary inflation is a big deal. One of the things that uh, Bitcoin or other um, things like Ether or whatever have highlighted is 
well, I have to get out of these dollars into other things. The stock market's done that as well. So if you look at you know the S&P 500 rationally this past year, you wouldn't see record highs because Main Street's economy has been nowhere near that. And part of that is because the central bank is destroying the value of the US dollar. Um, the whole point, the use case for Bitcoin, uh, which launched this sector, uh, well, I won't say we launched it, but matured it to the point where it was um, truly scalable and functional. Functional, um, you know, was to be able to do that to escape that system of destruction of the dollar or other currencies. So uh, that's a, a, a piece to understand. It is a store of value. But I think the piece that people should really understand, you know, I talked to somebody in the year 2000 who told me, and this is a real quote, he said, I think all them computers are a fad. And I looked at him confused. I was like, you mean like the dot-com bubble last year or something? And he goes, no, all them computers and stuff. And I pointed to a desktop computer. I said, you mean like desktop computers? And he goes, yeah. And I was like, wow. You know, that would have been a shocker in like 1981 for a lot of people, right? Um, but in the year 2000, to hear people say that. So I think people who think that blockchain is not going to be transformative are a similar boat, you know, uh, 10 years on from the launch of scalable blockchain, uh, true distributed ledger technology, people are missing the moment if they don't see the potential of this. And unlike that, Congress, Congress in the 1990s did get, um, you know, this regulatory clarity to basically facilitate the flourishing of the internet uh, in the United States. When it could have flourished other places in the world, it flourished here. And it really is just amazing to see in the United States of America, where we're less than 5% of the world's population, how much innovation takes place. And there are a whole lot of reasons why, you know, whether it's economic incentives or whatever, but, you know, we have 25% of the world's GDP. We have over 50% of the world's invested capital in our capital markets. I mean, it's the best market for goods, services, intellectual property, uh, you name it. But we're not we're not retaining this future in blockchain because we can't get Congress to pass a law and we can't get the SEC to provide a clear, bright line test that would uh, make it so people can know at launch uh, or at any point along the way, hey, this is a security. It's going to be regulated like a security. This is not. And it's going to be regulated this way. And because of that, because of that, you know, you think about the retirees and the, and the people on fixed incomes. You know, they have not been able to have like a Bitcoin ETF or, you know, a broad crypto basket of of uh, assets to invest in in their normal retirement savings. So you got Fidelity, Schwab, pension funds. Most average retail investors have not been able to really invest in the best performing publicly available asset class of the past decade. And they've lost out on, you know, two trillion dollars of net gains. So it's hugely consequential to not be able to participate in this market. And I think it's still a market that's in its infancy, personally. Let's talk about the elusive, you know, Bitcoin ETF. Um, you know, you obviously are frustrated by this. We're seeing ETFs pass in other countries, uh, specifically the Purpose ETF in Canada, not only was the first one to become available in Canada, but also from a uh, interest um, and volume and assets under management perspective is a smashing success, right? Um, I think Canadian ETFs are usually much smaller than American ETFs. And this ETF rivaled um, 
American ETFs as in terms of volume, interest, assets under management. So there, it's clear that there is massive demand from an ETF that represents Bitcoin. Um, yet, you know, the SEC, other regulatory bodies, you know, seem to think it's, let's say, unsafe and have allowed for things like GBTC, for uh, companies like MicroStrategy, Riot Blockchain, these companies that represent Bitcoin exposure, but not necessarily true Bitcoin exposure to kind of fill that gap. Can you kind of speak more specifically just about like the current situation with investing in Bitcoin in a brokerage account in the United States? Yeah, I mean, so if you talk to the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, you know, one of the things that they'll say straight away is, um, you know, there's, there's volatility here. Investors are hurt by volatility. Well, they haven't really done much about SPACs, uh, special purpose acquisition corporations, and those are very volatile, more volatile than, than this. And frankly, they're asymmetric in terms of the benefit to the investor versus the principal. Principal is getting paid whether there's a deal, uh, you know, they, they get outsized returns uh, on the deal and deal flow. That's a separate podcast on SPACs. But uh, you, you can very uh, easily participate in, in, in crypto. Now, to be fair, some of the ETFs have higher expense ratios than I would like to see. And that comes down with competition. Some of the ways to invest in, in, uh, in crypto are more expensive than others. You know, it's hard to beat being able to download your own code and, uh, and run your own node. That's kind of got its own accessibility challenges. Not everybody's that technically savvy. And, uh, you know, it's kind of its own kind of ecosystem. People want to put their money into a, a retirement savings, uh, put a little bit of money away every paycheck and let somebody else manage it overwhelmingly. They're not they're not into managing their money day to day. They're into doing the work that gets them their paycheck. And the accessibility for this system hinges uh, in, in its truest sense, not so much on volatility, but on custody. So when you think about private keys, and uh, reserve requirements, things like that, that need to be worked out. I feel the SEC could do this on their own, but I know that Congress could pass a law and all these things are answered if we just pass our bill, the Token Taxonomy Act. So we've had this bill in existence since 2018 and uh, we've had a hard time getting uh, the House Financial Services Committee to notice it, move it to markup, allow amendment debate and get it to the floor of the House but it would provide the regulatory clarity that the industry needs. And I'm open to doing it in different ways or maybe just an ETF focused bill. Do you think it's going to take a bill or do you think, you know, folks like Hester Pierce and other, uh, and other folks within the SEC that, you know, have signaled, you know, pro Bitcoin uh, will eventually make some inroads there? Well, uh, you know, I've been rooting for Hester uh, ever since I, I knew there was a person named Hester Pierce and or crypto mom, you know, she's she's been great for the space. She truly understands it. Um, and at the state state level, you know, uh, the state of Wyoming's done really well. Lots of states should copy that, including my great state of Ohio. Um, but, you know, you can't really, you need a, a true national market to do this. We, we've got to get clarity. Um, unfortunately, the SEC under Secretary Clayton stayed kind of regulatory regulation by enforcement. Uh, they said, oh, well, just come talk to us and we'll work out your own, you know, uh, no action letter. And I think in their whole tenure, they did two letters, you know, so not very productive. And so um, I, I'm encouraged that uh, SEC Chairman Gensler uh, 
understands the space. I mean, he's taught, you know, freely accessible and available courses for MIT uh, on blockchain. So he understands the space. He did well when he was at the CFTC, Commodity Futures Trading Commission. Uh, and, and frankly, some of his work are part of why uh, Bitcoin and Ether have clear regulatory certainty that some others don't. Uh, they're clearly considered commodities, whereas some others are still kind of like, well, this isn't going to get kind of roped into some sort of uh, enforcement action, right? And that's where XRP sits right now. Yeah, well, I mean, I would love to speak with uh, with Secretary Gensler just about Ether because I, I have some opinions on, I'm not even a lawyer, but it, it just seems strange that they would lump it in with Bitcoin. But um, regardless, you know, what's good for crypto is absolutely good for Bitcoin. And I think that Bitcoin adoption is is a, an imperative for human freedom and and um, you know and 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 in individual sovereignty, right? Um, I I feel like we've gotten to this world where um, it, it's not uncommon to see sovereignty and freedom be trampled on, whether it's in states around the country or whether it's in countries across the globe. Um, you know, seeing things in Canada, Australia, the UK. Uh, Europe, you know, makes my heart sink, um, truly. And I mean, in terms of like human freedoms kind of being under attack in today's day and age, do you want to just like talk about like what we're seeing kind of post Corona and maybe how Bitcoin plays into that? Well, look, go back to what we talked about earlier. You know, do you use money as a, as a way to defend freedom or do you use money as a system of control? And you know, the architecture really sets the course. And that's what, what I love about Bitcoin is it's designed to have some le level of privacy. Uh, and, you know, there's a layer of accountability. That's the whole public system, but that's the, the piece on, on, on truly private keys and, and frankly, you know, private blockchains. But when you look at, if you look at uh, the, the path for uh, Bitcoin and freedom, uh, Think about all the dystopian futures that you read about, whether it's, you know, 1984, Brave New World, you know, the Book of Revelation, whatever. All these things go out and there's a there's this authoritarian uh, central authority that wants to use the money system as a way to control the population. Right. And essentially that's been done in some level in the United States of America. I mean, for a long time, people said, well, you're not going to bank those people, are you? And who those people are sometimes changed. You had horrible practices like redlining. But now you kind of see in this kind of era of woke capitalism, like, well, you're not going to bank those people, are you? They sell fossil fuels or they, you know, do some other non-approved thing. So, you know, money in a sense is speech. Um, our Supreme Court has ruled that. But if you're going to be able to exercise your free speech, you have to be able to do it in a way that isn't canceled. Cash does that. So if you and I um, are face to face and in person, we can exchange cash one another. I suppose we can mail it, but it's uh, got some fraught, it's fraught with risks, right? Um, and, and so cash doesn't require a third party. So this is one of the keys to a truly functional, um, you know, means of exchange is you don't need an intermediary to facilitate the transaction. And that's the beauty of uh, a true distributed ledger creation like Bitcoin versus something that requires, uh, you know, a payment system that requires a central authority. So if you think about, you know, Visa, MasterCard, American Express, they can deny anything. Everyone's been frustrated when, 
your credit card company was just trying to keep you safe from some fraud, which we all want them to do. Um, but you know, it means, well, you, you can't even rent a car today because I'm at the rental car counter. So things like that, that happen cash. You don't have to worry about that. I have cash. You have what I want. I'm going to give you this cash. You're going to give me what I want. And you don't have to really worry about canceling. So Bitcoin allows you to do that in a digital way as do lots of cryptographic assets. And, uh, you know, I think that's the future. I think we're going to see, you know, process improvements when you look at payment systems. But personally, I think the, that that Bitcoin in particular as a store of value is, is going to be the, uh, you know, the gold standard for crypto for the foreseeable future. Why is crypto going to make Americans more free? And are Americans not free today? Like, again, I feel like we've seen some unprecedented things these past few uh, past few months, past few years. Well, uh, you know, if you think about what's going on with the payment systems, one of the one of the allegations that the authoritarians that want to preserve the status quo with our financial system say is, well, you know, we have to be able to monitor all the transactions. We have to be able to approve or disapprove. We have to be able to catch the money launderers and tax evaders. And that's a straw man argument that they build that, well, gee, one of my colleagues, uh, Brad Sherman from Los Angeles, um, you know, literally says in every hearing that he can get is, you know, uh, cryptocurrency is only for, you know, tax evaders and money launderers or narco terrorists. He says, very pejorative things like this um, that are, you know, willfully ignorant. I mean, he's a smart enough guy to know that that's not entirely true. But what he's doing is he's attacking, like there's no pro uh, tax evader lobby. There's no pro um, terrorist lobby, right? So he tries to paint it this way, which is dishonest uh, to say that, gee, that's the only reason anyone would own it. And the reality is, you know, less than half a percent of all crypto transactions are illicit, which is a smaller number than cash transactions. So, and look, the, all the activity that goes on through the banking system, uh, also a bigger number than crypto as a percentage. Now, in terms of total volume, of course, you know, the, the crypto is still a fraction of the overall global market. But even as a percentage of the activity, it's, it's, a, it's tiny. So there are people building straw man arguments because it represent, represents a threat to the status quo. And what's that threat? It really is the system of control that's been erected. Um, and look, the noble purpose is to catch the, the, the money launderers and tax evaders to frankly enforce national security systems like sanctions against uh, you know, bad state actors. Uh, but it, it's coming at a huge price. It's very similar to like the Patriot Act, right? And, Edward Snowden made public what a lot of people knew publicly already is that the federal government is spying on American citizens. They're not just going after, you know, the bad folks. They're spying on everyone to try to figure out who are the bad people, which means there's also a good guy list, you know. So um, that's that that's one of the implications of the Patriot Act. And our money is being able to is being used in the same way. And the safeguard against that is to have a true system that protects not secrecy, but privacy. So you can discern who is behind uh, a series of transactions. You have to do a little more work than the current system. Uh, and I think that's the piece. Some of it, if you go the best cases, 
Can we use companies like Chainalysis to follow on-chain activity uh, and, and go after the bad actors? Or, you know, or are they going to try to ban it outright together? And that's, that's as crazy as trying to ban the internet. So, um, you know, could people pass the ban? Yes. Can it be done effectively? No. Is U.S. government banning Bitcoin something that's like you think is in the realm of possibilities? I personally, I, th- I think it's too big, but uh, I think you know more than me. Well, uh, you know, the U.S. government has a ban on lots of things that are too big to stop. Uh, you know, the, the war on drugs hasn't exactly worked out the way they, they projected it, right? They, they literally amended the Constitution to ban alcohol. That didn't work out too well either. So banning a form of uh, payment isn't going to actually work. But it could cause a lot of problems for people in the meantime. And when you look at some of the data collection that's going on right now, I mean, the IRS literally put out a, a, a massive overreach by asking a question about, uh, have you transacted in any way in any cryptocurrency in the past year? So if you fill out your taxes this year, you're required to answer that question. But they did have to publish guidance after the fact to say, well, did you ultimately what this really means is, did you sell any cryptocurrency? And because why, if you don't, if you only purchased and you didn't sell, then you couldn't have realized a gain or loss. So there is no nexus legally for the IRS's question. They will lose in court uh, if they tried to make it as if they were doing anything other than find, did somebody have a gain or loss? Because that's inside the IRS's lane. Um, but the, and, and the other big thing is at the end of the year, uh, at the end of 2020, Treasury put out a thing where they were trying to ban private wallets. They call it self-hosted wallets, but essentially cold storage or air-gapped wallets. Um, they were basically saying, hey, we're coming after them. And if, if you think about it, if they go after the ability to have private wallets, that kills a huge part of blockchain's functionality. It's, 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 it's um, you know, permissionless uh, transfer, like no third party in between. And what they want uh, the authoritarian folks want is to have the third party there, whether even if it's not the government, they can go after the third party, just like they go after, you know, AT&T and Verizon for your cell phone records or uh, Google for your emails or whatever. It, you don't ever even find out. They just go to them and get the records. Uh, and and uh, look, it's great. But look, the Fourth Amendment, we have a Fourth Amendment uh, protection for privacy in America that some countries don't have. And I guarantee if you look up the Fourth Amendment, there's not an asterisk there that says if you have nothing to hide, then you have nothing to fear. It says that you have a fundamental right to privacy and the government cannot infringe upon that with unreasonable searches uh, without due process, without a warrant, basically. And and so I, I think the, the means of exchange has to be able to be um, preserved if you want to defend freedom, you have to defend sound money. So why, in your opinion, why is the state acting like this, right? The, the Constitution clearly says defend freedom. Like, how, how did we get to this point where now we have to, like, def, you know, we, we have to defend freedom, uh, you know, beyond uh, just the Constitution forbidding it? You know, I think really one of the fascinating things to read in American history is to read the Federalist Papers. So when you look at, at some of the arguments that the founders had um, for, you know, our Bill of Rights, for the Constitution, like why should we have these protections? 
you know, um, the whole logic of the country in the declaration was unique in the world at the time that, that our rights don't come from the government. They don't come from the King or anything else that we're endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights that among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And they derived from some of that debate. Well, in the state of nature, wouldn't a person be able to do this? Shouldn't they be able to do that? Should they be free from a fear that their government would do, you know, X, Y, Z? And it wasn't clear that the states had to respect those rights. And in essence, we fought a civil war over that and, of course, slavery. Uh, but it, behind it, to clarify that the states also have to protect these liberties, uh, the, the country adopted the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments, of course, ending slavery. But we were so slow to realize them. You think they didn't do Reconstruction the right way after after they fought the Civil War. I mean, frankly, they had lawful um, discrimination, lawful bias towards, you know, heavily one group of people uh, and heavily in the South uh, who had lost the Civil War uh, and for 100 years. And so you have to go all the way into the 1960s to end the legal uh, discrimination with the Voting Rights Act and the Civil Rights Act and along the way with things like Brown v. Board. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a heck of a struggle. So, you know, our country has this great history of striving for more freedom. It certainly wasn't perfect, that founding, but they recognize that towards a more perfect union. And to me, a more perfect America um, defend sound money because it is essential to defend freedom. And one of the arguments that you see in those founding documents is that the human nature is there. I mean, when people have power, they tend to use it. Power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. The power that some of these agencies have had to spy on Americans uh, has been abused. And we've seen that in terms of warrantless surveillance or spying on American citizens. Uh, I'll skip the whole presidential thing uh, for the sake of how divisive that argument became. But net of that, we've seen it on, you know, whether it's, you know, looking at your bank records, your phone records. I mean, if you put on a notepad something uh, on a piece of paper and put it in a safe deposit box, you would normally have a reasonable expectation of privacy. If law enforcement wanted to look at that, they would get a warrant and they would be able to search your safe deposit box. But if you sent the same thing electronically, they would say, well, you have no expectation of privacy. You've shared it with a third party. So our electronic communications have not stayed in touch with historic law. Historically, you could send something through the Postal Service, and unless there was a warrant, they couldn't open your mail. Now, they could open a package that looks suspicious. They think it's a bomb. But like if it's OK, it's a letter. We don't think it's suspicious. Um, they had to get warrants to open it. And that was at a government facility operated by the government. Today, this whole use of business records to, to spy on people, I mean, it undermines uh, the way of life that our founders tried to preserve for America. And it's so benign because in, in today's era, the core of it is how uh, privacy is being abused, you know, whether that's the data you share with companies or the data you officially share with the government. And one of the loopholes people don't think about is the way they use their money with their bank. Um, and the banks very overtly, their whole charter and success to operate as a bank depends on their ability to 
spy on their customers uh, at an adequate level to keep the government happy. If they keep the government happy, they're allowed to continue operating the bank. Yeah, I mean, uh, I could definitely see how the incentives become very, very perverse in that situation. And again, kind of filling in the gap, like this is how Bitcoin fits into that, is that Bitcoin is the technological pushback that, you know, Americans have, um, you know, kind of to defend themselves in the digital realm, because it's become clear that the physical realm uh, was was much more easily defended than um, our current kind of permissioned, uh, let's call it internet economy. Yeah. So if you think about, if you think about Bitcoin, it was designed to be um, essentially money for the internet era and really for the era that was going on with central banks. So with the um, central banks undermining the value of the currency with central banks using the financial system as a system of control. Um, And, you know, I just think really, you know, one of the useful things for somebody, if they haven't done it, is to, to read the Bitcoin white paper. There are people that are really into Bitcoin, investing, trading, and everything else, and they haven't read it. I mean, it wouldn't be a bad high school civics assignment to just read and understand some of the points that are made, you know, in that white paper. Amazing. Well, I think that's a, a good place to, to wrap it up. Um, I'm going to be seeing you in Miami at Bitcoin 2021. Um, I've said that Bitcoiners are on the front lines of freedom, and I feel like the fact that this event is happening is kind of proof of that. Um, excited to see you there in Miami. Uh, why don't you kind of uh, you know chat about what are you excited about for the conference, and then maybe kind of plug where people can uh, can find you uh, on the interwebs. Yeah, so thanks. It's it, I'm looking forward to the uh, to the event in Miami. Uh, it's always great to be in Miami, and you know this past year, so many people have. Uh, escaped from their uh, less permissive environments in their states to get to Florida that's been permissive and also safe. I mean, their per capita numbers uh, are, you know, massively better than what their total population is. So uh, you go there and see it firsthand, hopefully by June, given the CDC's new guidance, you know, a lot of the country will be experiencing what Florida's experienced for a long time. Um but why the conference? I mean, we're going to talk about core issues uh, in blockchain and in Bitcoin in particular. And uh, I'm looking forward to talking about uh, the, the institutional issues and to retail investors. So uh, Senator Cynthia Lummis is going to be on a panel with me. We're going to have a good discussion on how important this is to uh, the future of our country. And I think really the future of freedom in our country. It really is a core uh, to preserving our way of life. Awesome. And for people who want to reach out, uh, learn more about you, your work in Bitcoin and in other areas, uh, where can people find you? So my official webpage is davidson.house.gov. That's for the House of Representatives, house.gov. And then on Twitter at Warren Davidson. Uh, those are the primary ways that I talk about this space in particular. And, um, you know, probably need another outlet, but it's great to be invited to some of these conferences. Uh, I've hit a number of podcasts. We try to accept the invites and uh, just appreciate the attention that people are paying to it. I hope that more of my colleagues uh, will help us move it. I want to give a shout out to Darren Soto and Josh Gottheimer, uh, Ted Budd and Scott Perry, who are the co-sponsors of the Token Taxonomy Act in the House. These are the five folks that are really pushing hard to get regulatory clarity there. And last, I'd say Chairman uh, or Ranking Member Patrick McHenry, 
on the Republican side really gets this issue. So I guess one last thing is like for the Bitcoiners out there who want to learn more about the Token Taxonomy Act and maybe even hound their representative to take it seriously, uh, you know, I guess give them a little pitch there. Okay, so the Token Taxonomy Act came from meeting with everyone that we could in the industry. And I mean, these were initially just maybe a dozen or so reps, became CEOs of some of the best startups, became, uh, you know, leaders of, you know, venture firms like, well, let me bring my VC uh, like Andreessen Horowitz, we brought State Street, NASDAQ, you know, high level folks and uh, early stage startup folks together. And we had a discussion. We said, well, let's get as far up the tree as we can uh, before everybody's interests start branching off and say, this goes this way, this goes that way. So we said we have to do uh, first and foremost, we have to get a definition of a security that's modernized. So, you know, whether you're a security or not. And uh, it, it has a bright line test for whether something's a security or not. We have to uh, address custody. So, you know, because the private keys can be shared with more than one, how do we deal with custody? And then we have to deal with tax issues. So it deals with all three of those. If we did that, we'd be able to get a lot of clarity in the industry. I think we'd see a, a huge surge of flourishing uh, in this space. And, you know, there are some other bills that are out there, but this is uh, the core of the Token Taxonomy Act. Are you going to make it so you can use Bitcoin as money for, you know, let's call it small to medium sized transactions or uh, is the capital gains going to continue to be a, a factor if uh, this bill passes? Well, so this bill would be uh, just like every other currency. If you change to pound sterling and then go to, you know, France and get uh, euros and then come back to the U.S., you know, there's a six hundred dollar de minimis exception. Um, and it's easy to, to gain or lose $600 uh, with, with crypto. But if you did a payment within $600, you're there. For me personally, uh, I'm, I'm in the, I'm in the uh, buy, buy hold camp on things that are good stores of value. Uh, so I'm, I'm not sure that you, know, you would really want to use it as a payment system right now. Uh, and that's part of the rise. People are wanting to hold instead of uh, trade. Yeah, well, hey, I, I'm I'm a hodler myself. Uh, I actually put out a tweet that I've never sold Bitcoin once. So uh, hopefully, hopefully, Bitcoin can take over the world before I have to part from any sats. Um, but uh, Congressman War uh, Warren uh, Davidson, it was great having you on the show. Great getting to pick your brain and uh, learn a little bit about what's going on on the Hill. Uh, and like I said, really looking forward to meeting you in person, in Miami. Same, CK. Nice talking with you. All right. To all the Bitcoiners out there, you guys can follow me at CK underscore Snarks. You can follow Bitcoin Magazine and find all of our work at Bitcoin Magazine. And make sure to give uh, Congressman Davison here uh, a follow and uh, follow his work and check him out in Miami. Go shake his hand. Uh, we, we're, we are on the front lines of freedom and I'm excited to keep pushing it forward. A quick reminder that all of the content in this episode is for informational and entertainment purposes only. You should not construe the information as legal, tax, investment, financial, or any other advice. Nothing contained in this presentation constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, or offer by BTC Media, the Let's Talk Bitcoin Podcast Network, or any third-party service provider to buy or sell securities or any other financial instruments. Do your own research.